we have uh, tracked down Michelle Caruso Cabrera, uh, CNBC contributor, formerly the chief international correspondent, live in Italy. Uh, Michelle, uh, the last time uh, we spoke, we were talking about um, the benefits of uh, going back to work in person. Uh, I guess, you know, your next column might have to be about the benefits of working from Italy. Well, I, I am doing some uh, reporting on, uh, you know, gathering information about the big election that's happening here on Sunday. But uh, I'm also here to do some genealogy work of my family ancestry, which I, I do a lot of. No, that's uh, that's pretty neat. And that's something that uh, has exploded in popularity in in recent years. Well, just so people people know your lineage, uh, what is, I mean, obviously I know you're Hispanic and I think the first Hispanic woman ever to run for New York City controller. Um, what is your, your lineage? How far were you able to trace back your own family history? Yeah, so my mother's Cuban and my father's Italian. And uh, on the Cuban side, I've gone back to the 1600s. And uh, on the Italian side, I've gone back to the 1700s, depending on which arm, you know, because there there become many as you end up having great grandparents and great great grandparents and then great 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 grandparents. Um, so yeah, many many generations. That's incredible. Going back to the 16th and 17th century, there um, there was a um, there was a story a couple of months ago that um, most Americans can't name all four of their great grand uh, excuse me of their grandparents and only a minuscule portion of Americans can name all of their great grandparents but you can go back all the way 5 600 years yeah you, i mean could i name them off the top of my head no but i would open up my family tree on ancestry.com and then i would be able to show you because it really you end up having so many names uh, as you know. Women get married, in particular, and things change over the you know through the decades. So yes, I could sit down with you and we could go step by step, you know, link by link, and show you who's from where and, and the underlying documentation that goes with it. What do you attribute the surge in popularity of genealogy research in recent years to? Well, I I think particularly for Americans, it's because we we all come from immigrants. Right. So when I'm here, I'm here in Gaeta, Italy. Right. It's two hours south of Rome. It's an hour south of Naples. And I have uh, met here uh, half a dozen second cousins that I knew of on my tree but hadn't met. Now, their family, they're still here in Gaeta, Italy. My family left. Right. Um, But we all share the same great, great grandfather. And because they're here, they know that, you know, their their ancestors walk these same streets. So they're very kind of familiar you know, I think they, they see it as an oddity that Americans are really into this. I, I did a little genealogy work in Paris once when I was there uh, covering an election there. And, you know, there's one my, you know, small arm of my family that was from France. And when I sat down with the uh, guy who runs the cemetery, he said French people never come here, only Americans. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's because we're, you know, we, we can, because we can't go back that far in the United States. Do you have to really... You know, if you want to know, you really got to go find it, as um, opposed to it being passed down. You know, we're you know early here. So, in terms of the uh, the uh, ancestral research leg of your trip, you're there to meet family members that you were aware of the existence of, but that you've met, never met in person. 
Yes. And then what I also do is um, there was a local genealogist that I contacted in advance to help me find records. And, and then, you know, he gets you photocopies of the records. But what I'd like to do is go to the original municipality where the records are stored and then photograph them myself so you can see the original paper, the original ink. They're much easier to read. I mean, old records are hard because, one, they're in a foreign language. Two, they're in an old foreign language, the same way we kind of struggle to read old English sometimes. You know, I mean, imagine old Italian, and then it's sometimes faded. So you have to first have them transcribed by somebody who's familiar, and then you, um, then you have them translated. Uh, and then that's how you, you get your information for your tree. Um, give some t- and if people just tuning in. We're talking with uh, Michelle Caruso Cabrera, a uh, CNBC contributor and uh, former chief international correspondent at CNBC, joining us live from Italy. Give us some tips on um, how people might be able to begin this these efforts in their own life. The first thing you have to do is speak to the oldest members of your family and find out, get a hint of what you're looking for. Um, because you want to know, I, tell me about your parents. Tell me about your grandparents. Do they have brothers and sisters? What can you remember? You want to talk to every member of your family to see what they remember. Because then, then you can build, you know, kind of skeletal tree. And then that's when you start. Then you join any of these websites. That, you know, uh, there are many of them. I use Ancestry, but there's also MyHeritage. There's several that are free. And then you build them online. I like building them online because then there's this real collective experience out there where other people that are your kind of distance relatives will also be on there and, and you can find each other. And the, the key thing to remember is if you want to go really far back, you have to go really wide. What that means is you want to find second cousins and third cousins and maybe even fourth cousins because you don't know – what piece of paper or photo got handed down by a great great grandparent which which of their children kept the photos mm. and then which of their children's children kept the photos so sometimes you have to go to distant people to get stuff that's related to you in addition to just using ancestry or some of these other genealogical websites as uh, research tools for records and looking at uh, who was who in the census and uh, this and that. Do you have you done the DNA uh, testing aspect of these genealogical websites? Oh yes. And uh, did you oh, meet yes. new relatives through that? Um, no. Uh, yes, I, I, I have. I have met new relatives um, that way. Um, the the DNA is super helpful for finding other people online. Um, you know, ancestry in particular, you know, DNA, there's different DNA tests, right? If you take 23andMe, you're probably more likely interested in your health. But if you take an ancestry uh, DNA uh, test, you're probably more interested in your genealogy. And so there's this self-selection group that happens of people who are looking for each other. So, yes, I have. In fact, you know what? It's funny that you asked me that. I just found a relative in the Bronx uh, who's Cuban. Uh, who I, I, I hope to meet soon because uh, it's part of my Cuban side of my grandfather's family that I haven't been able to really figure out because he was abandoned by his father. Wow. Uh, so there's not a lot of detail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, it's um, it's a shame that uh, you didn't know that relative existed when you were running for office in the Bronx. That could have been another voter. <laughs> 
Um, talking with Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Now, my my wife, uh, I got her uh, the uh, Ancestry membership a couple of years ago as a, as a gift, and she swabbed uh, her her DNA her mouth and did, submitted her DNA sample, and she met an aunt, her father's sister, that she didn't know existed. It's a, a half-sister of her father, and now they have a, a great relationship. They've met a bunch of times, and she considers uh, this woman her um, her aunt. And um, I can definitely see the benefits. I've always been a little leery of handing my DNA to a corporation, and then my hesitation was significantly amplified when they were able to catch the Golden State Killer using a a relative of his having their DNA submitted to that website. What can you say to people that are skeptics like me about handing their DNA to an anonymous corporation not knowing what they're going to do with it? Yeah, so... um... The Golden State Killer wasn't um, caught by a commercial website. It was caught by he was caught by a nonprofit website, where um, some of these platforms don't really delve into. You can really um, start to dig into DNA if you're looking for a very particular line of your tree, and so they've started this nonprofit website where you take all that data, which. Anytime you submit your DNA, you can download your own data and then upload it to other places. So I have uh, uploaded my data to that uh, nonprofit website as well. So that's where the police found it. It's not the commercial organizations that did that. Um, the other thing I would say is, yeah, I thought a lot about this. Um, I, you know, it's a trade-off that I'm willing to accept. Um, and I also, when I think about where I want to store my genealogical data, I want to store it at the place that has the most capital, that's the strongest financially, because I want it to endure for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so that's, and the other thing is, um, the Wall Street Journal, I'm pretty sure, just to destroy about this, it's almost too late. Like, there are so many people who have submitted their DNA to different places that even if you haven't, Someone can figure out uh, who you are. You see what I mean? You know, they they find. I don't even think it was the Golden State Killer's DNA they found. They right? Found, no, like, it was a family a member of his. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. that, that's the way I feel. Exactly. I feel you know why if yeah. my um, if my uh, great nephew goes down a wayward path one day, uh, why should I submit the DNA and help him get uh, arrested? But that's a a subject for another day. Um, one of the things that <laughs> one of the things that we found, and we're talking with Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Uh, CNBC contributor and the former chief international correspondent. Um, One of the things that we found in my wife's case is that the reason that um, that her father had a sibling that he was never aware of was because her grandfather had had an adulterous affair and, you know, and impregnated his mistress, basically. And then she was put up for adoption. I'm curious, as more and more people go down this rabbit hole of researching their ancestry, their family history, these uh, their genealogical profile, how common is it? to discover family secrets like the one that I just described with my wife? I think it's exceptionally common. Um, I found two in my family um, where, uh, you know, I asked my mother about something, and she clearly knew about this but didn't want to tell me. Um, the closer it is uh, in time, the, the more embarrassed people are and the less likely they are to talk about it. And then the farther away you get distance-wise, it's easier to talk about it. Um, but it's extremely common, extremely common. My um, my colleague, I see Bill Griffith, wrote an entire book about discovering that his father wasn't his father. Wow. 
it's yeah, yeah, uh-huh. No, no, that that's wild. Um, it, this and, is. And by the way, even if you don't submit it, there's so many people around you who submit that it, it gets discovered, even if you thought you had a secret. Wow. Uh, by the way, if you want to get get a look at um, some of the really interesting historical uh, documents that um, Michelle has been looking at for her family. Um, Michelle's just tweeted that you can find her on Twitter at uh, M Caruso underscore Cabrera. And I'm going to retweet it as well. So you could find me at uh, Frank Morano and I'll, I'll retweet it and you can see it on there. It's really, really fascinating. Um, tell me about your trip to Cuba when you were, when you were researching uh, this kind of thing there, who did you meet familiarly in Cuba? Uh, so second cousins uh, and third cousins, um, we, um, I had a family member, uh, so two of my family members from Cuba that I researched, you know, they came to New York City in the 20s, not in the 60s, like many exiles did. I was trying to figure out why did they come in the 20s? Well, because one had a child out of wedlock uh, and just wanted to leave town. Wow. And another one was um, a gay, I would call him a gay great uncle. Uh, that's why they left Cuba in the 20s. And so I found, um, and it, great uncle is not quite right. It's, you know, I'd have to look at the tree sure. and down with you. But, um, you know, I went and found his grand nieces. Uh, and there was, you know, not a lot has changed in Cuba. And so all the photos were still on the wall. Uh, and I could see them, uh, and you know, they explained to me all these different relatives, and and you know, that's part of an example of finding people who are, um, th- you know, far away from you, because they can show you a photo of your great great grandfather that you wouldn't have had otherwise, because they, you all sh- share that same person. Uh, this is Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, what uh, what you are, of course, Hispanic. What should uh, people keep in mind for Hispanic Heritage Month beyond that uh, maybe it's a fun month to have a parade and to say that it's Hispanic Heritage Month? What should people be keeping in mind and be mindful of for Hispanic Heritage Month? Well, yeah, I love Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm the president of the board of the Hispanico, and we are going to name uh, West 89th Street uh, coming up later on during Hispanic Heritage Month, Ballet Hispanico Way. Uh, which I'm really excited about. I think people should know that um, we are a culture that very much loves America, but also loves salsa, and I mean the dance, not just the food. (laughs) (laughs) And we love, um, you know, we love being from somewhere, but we love being here too. Uh, It's just, it's, um, I don't know, I... uh, being Latina is is super fun. I, I don't know how to describe hey, it. <laughs> no, that's uh, certainly most of the uh, Latina women that I've met over the years have been incredibly spirited and taken a great deal of pride in their culture. Hey, um, so you stepped away from CNBC for a couple of years to take a stab at uh, at running for office. How are you finding the return to journalism? I know uh, some people that have uh, stepped away from journalism to try their hand at politics. Sometimes they have a difficult time making the transition back because they've been so um, used to being a newsmaker for a couple of years. How are you finding that uh, the transition back to the world of journalism? Uh, well, it just started last week, so it's pretty new. Um, but so far, so good. Um, it's like riding a bike in terms of gathering information, making sure you explain it clearly. You know, I'm working with colleagues that I worked with for 20 years, so there's a rhythm there. 
Uh, I mean, I was on the morning show Squawk Box last week, and it's the same anchors and the same format. So, you know, sit down and um, a little nervous at first because it had been a little more than two years. But, uh, you know, I, I had a great time. I hope they did, too. Um, I'll let you go. It sounds like there are some folks tugging at your heels, but I do have to ask you, since you're in Italy following the Italian election, I follow Italian politics pretty closely. The the uh, prediction, the smart money has a uh, right wing prime minister coming in after Sunday's elections by a, a woman by the name of Maloney. They said she's likely to secure enough support to uh, have a, a right wing, a bunch of the right wing parties. And they're actually comparing her to Mussolini. They're saying this is the first hard right leader of Italy, uh, if she's elected, since Mussolini. One, do, do you go with the conventional wisdom that she's likely to be the next prime minister? And two, is that Mussolini comparison a fair one? She is likely to be the next prime minister, yes. Um, Mussolini, um, I, I don't know enough about Mussolini. I will say this, that... She is certainly, people tell me that Berlusconi looks centrist compared to her. Um, so, yes, yeah, she's definitely of the three right-wing parties. She's the furthest right. She's also much more socially right than those other parties. Sure. The two other parties are much more, let's lower taxes, let's make it easier for business. But she's got a strong um, concern about immigrants here and a real focus on work, whereas Berlusconi was about globalization, you know. Italy's great. The world is great. Let's go get it uh, kind of thing. It's a totally different tonality. Uh, with that in mind, how do you think American markets are likely to react to a new right-wing government in Italy? I, I don't think they're going to react much. I think what you need to remember is that the prime minister of Italy is kind of like the governor of California. It's not like the president of the United States. Remember, when you're a member of the European Union, you're not in charge of your currency. Mm. What, what you can do with your borrowing is very, very constrained. A lot of your laws aren't even written in your home country anymore. They're written in Brussels, right, which is what, part of the reason why Brexit happened, because people didn't like that. Um, and, and they controlled their own currency in the U.K., and they didn't you know, like being part of the EU. So, um, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to affect it much as long as she doesn't go on a real, uh, you know, deficit splurge, which – a lot of the countries in Europe are thinking about doing because they're going to subsidize energy because energy costs are so hmm. high uh, and they're worried about it going into the winter. Wow. All right, uh, Michelle, it is always a treat to talk with you. Hopefully I'll see you uh, when you return to the United States. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Good luck. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Real pleasure to be on. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. That's uh, Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Hey, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222, either the Italian election aspect of it, the ancestry aspect of it, or, um, you know, that revolving door. No, I don't want to say it's a revolving door because that makes it sound like it's more common than that is. But the, the transition from the world of journalism to the world of politics to, and the world of politics to the world of journalism. Some people make that transition very easily. Uh, George Stephanopoulos, for instance. You watch him now, a lot of people don't remember that he really made his bones as a political operative. Um, other people struggle with that. You know, Susan Molinari, she was a rising star in Congress and then left to pursue the world of journalism, and she she had a very tough time. Other people are able to go back and forth. Curtis Slewa, for instance, a successful radio talk show host for 30 years, runs for mayor, comes back, doesn't miss a beat. Pat Buchanan, same thing. Politics, journalism, journalism, politics, he's able to do it. Other people have a tougher time. 800-848-9222.
When we return, I will tell you the exciting true story of what's happening at Alfredo's Pizza Cafe and the mystery of the $3,000 tip. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 